Welcome to the Trademark Church Podcast. We're so excited for you to hear our message today. Another thing we would love is for you to join us in person, whether that's live, online, or if you're local to DFW, come visit our location in Fort Worth, Texas. For service times, location, and everything you need to know, visit trademark.church. We hope today's message encourages you and helps you live a more fulfilling life in Jesus. What an amazing, amazing church you have here. It's so good to get to be here with you today. I feel like I've kind of come back home a little bit because I lived in the DFW area for about four years. And uh, it was in an area that's not as as nice as here. It was over in Grapevine. So, you know, I know that there's like a Dallas. Is there like a Dallas-Fort Worth like... F- f- yeah, I, I feel more at home here. I just want you to know that, okay? They, they, uh, but anyway, it is good to get get to be back here, and I just want to take a moment just to honor your pastors. How many of you love your pastor, uh, Pastor Landon? And uh, yeah, man, I, I remember that that um, you know that 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 coffee shop. I think it was on Main Street in Grapevine, and just having that conversation. And you know, for years, I'd I'd been following your leadership and following what you've been building and inspiring me and my leadership and what we were doing. Um, but I just knew that that day when we met together, I knew there's so much greatness on the inside of this leader because you love the Lord. You love, you love Jesus with all your heart. You love people. And, uh, even, even today when we were, we were back in the back before we got ready to come out, it was like this word that God gave me for you. Like you were talking and you're talking about your kids and just, you know, everything's this crazy season. We know you have not slept in, in six weeks now. Um, but the word lion, God, God, like just put that word in my heart. Like you were a lion of a leader. And, and, and that's a, there's a, have you ever seen a lion? Like, I don't know if you've ever seen one of those beautiful lions. It's like on, on the Disney channel or somewhere or the, whatever that channel is called, Discovery Channel. And they're walking by and there's, they're, they're, whenever they, they're not roaring, but they're just walking. And there's, you can see there's this boldness, but it's tempered. And it's, and I just see that you're such a bold leader. And you've always been that as long as I've known you, like your, your boldness for the Lord, your boldness with the gospel, your passion to reach people that are far from God. It is unprecedented. Like I've watched you for years. You did that with students and nothing has changed other than your age and maybe not as good looking as you used to be. But now you're just doing that with grownups. But you just, there's a fierceness on the inside of you, but it's, watch this, but there's a humility about you. You're bold, but you're not brash. And there's a humility as a shepherd. And so I just want to tell you, I honor you. And it's so cool to get to see this church. We've been, I've been trying to get over here for a couple of years now. And uh, it finally worked out. And uh, I feel like the Queen of Sheba in 1 Kings 10, it says that she heard this reputation about the, the palace that the king had built and how excellent it was. She's like, oh, I've got to go see this for myself. Okay, let's go see it for myself. So she shows up and the Bible says that it took her breath away. And she was blown away by the excellence of the house. And I feel that here, you've always had an excellent spirit that, that it's, it's now seen among the staff and the team here. And it's truly, this is a breathtaking church. And I just really believe your best days are in front of you. Trademark, you're going to reach so many more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Marriages will be restored. Prodigals will come home. God's going to use you to do phenomenal things in this community. If you believe that, once you clap your hands and make some noise, I love you, bro. I love you so much. I want to, it's so good to see Miss Natalie over here. I've been knowing her for a long time and uh, just to see so many fa- faces, a few familiar faces. And if I haven't had a chance to meet you, which that's probably most of you, I'd love to meet you at some point. Uh, but I want to honor my sister. My sister's traveling with me right over here. Uh, she's sitting right over here on the front row. It's interesting. 
I'm originally from Louisiana, so I'm kind of a Cajun. And then she moved to Dallas. And so I followed her to Dallas. And so I became a cowboy. So like a Cajun cowboy. And then she moved to San Francisco. So then I moved to San Francisco to start a church. So I was like Cajun cowboy confused is what I was. How many know California needs Jesus? Uh, but we went to my, my wife and our kids and our family. We moved to San Francisco and we planted a church uh, in 2017 there and uh, saw God do some phenomenal things. And just in the last year, God's transitioned our family back down in the South to Nashville, uh, leading a company called Sidecar Leader that serves local churches. We just come alongside lead pastors and their executive leadership team and help them go further, faster. And we also train church planners and we've trained, man, we've, we've now been, a, been able to be a part of training this year alone, about a hundred church planners We'll plant 80 church, churches this year, and um, which, will, which will be added to the 1,037 churches with this organization I'm a part of that we've been able to plant. And, uh, but it is just such an honor to get to be here with you, and, uh, and I, I just want to introduce you before we jump into the Word. I want to introduce you to my family. My wife and kids couldn't make it uh, this weekend, but they're going to put this picture up on the screen, I believe, back here. Here it is right here. My wife, Jennifer, and I, we've been dating now for, I was doing the math the other day, 20, I think 24 or 25 years. And uh, we've been married now for 17 years. And if you look at her and then you look at me, you know God still does miracles. Amen? Why are y'all laughing? Don't be laughing at that. Um, my oldest son there, his name is Liam, Liam Josiah. He loves football. He's an athlete. He wants to go play football for the LSU Tigers and then go pro and then pay for my retirement. And then um, the next little man right there, his name is Nixon. He just turned... 10 years old, Nixon Michael. He's our creative in the family. He's a songwriter, likes to write poetry, loves to sing, loves to dance. He's wild. My mom tells me all the time, Jason, you see with Nixon, you're reaping all that you sowed all those years. He's, he's that wild kid in our family. And then this little one right here, Novi Sophia, uh, she's three years old. And I'm telling you, people told me, they said, Jason, when you have a girl, it's different from having boys. I was like, no, it can't be different. It's different. I'm just telling you it's different. Okay. I mean, she could tell me whatever she wants. I'll buy it. I will go bankrupt for her. Um, but since we moved to Nashville, she's kind of started to, I think she thinks she's a cowgirl now. And so uh, she wants to be in like the music industry, maybe sing some country. Look at this picture of her right here. This is like every day in our house. She literally will try to wear this every day. And, and just in case you don't know, the outfit is actually a Peppa the Pig outfit. She has a tail. But she got these pink boots from my mom. My mom bought them for, for her. And I don't know where she got the pink cowboy hat from. But anyway, that's my family. And uh, it's so good uh, just to get to represent them. And hopefully next time I'm able to be here, I'll be able to bring my family with me. But if you have your Bibles, why don't you go with me over to Proverbs chapter 29 and then Nehemiah chapter 6. Proverbs 29 and Nehemiah 6. Um, you know, one of the honors that I get to, to do with Sidecar uh, Leader, the organization that I lead, is I get to travel like this and go to different churches. And, and some of them I'll, I'll preach at. Some of them I'll just go and help them with their teams. But a lot of the churches that I'm, I'm, um, I'm a part of, they do this thing called an annual spiritual survey. I don't know if you guys have ever done this, but usually it's done around Christmas or Easter. And whenever, that's when everybody comes to church, right? So when everybody's there, you get them to fill out this, this survey and, and ask a series of questions. And it's just really to help the leadership of the church to know where our people are at so that we can make sure we're equipping them for ministry and for life. Because the reality is there's a, lot of, there's a lot of pastors that preach the majority of their messages that actually relate to only the minority of people's lives. And so what we want to do is make sure that we're from scriptures teaching and equipping people so that, so that we're not just impacting their Sunday, but their Monday and their Thursday 
And so we'll ask these questions. And so we'll say, you know, one of the questions is like, what would you like to hear us speak on uh, from the scriptures? Any topic. And there's a list of things they can choose from, from their relationships, to their marriage, to their family, uh, to morality, to so many different categories. And, and, and do you know that by and large, like almost every single church that I've gone to, everyone says that the number one thing that people check off that they want to hear about is this, what's God's will for my life? Like, how do I know what it is that God wants me to do? How can I hear his voice and him guide me and him direct me? That's the number one thing that people want to hear. I don't know if you've ever wondered that, like you had to make that big decision, or maybe it's even a small decision, and you just wonder, God, what is your will in this particular area? And um, I don't know if you're like me, but I've noticed that life, you know, life is the sum total of the decisions that you've made up until this point, both good or bad. Like your life and my life, it's the sum total of the decisions that we've made up until this point. And, and I would imagine that's probably the tension. That's why we want to know so bad, God, what is, it, what is it that you want me to do in this area? Because God, when I do it my way, it usually doesn't work out so well. Our life is the sum total of the decisions that we've made. Now here, here's the thing. Oftentimes people try to make excuses for why they are at the place that they're at in their life, in their marriage, in their finances, wherever. And, and we like to blame other people. And the reality is, is we don't like to put the onus and the responsibility on ourselves because it's easier to blame someone else. And make no mistake about it, there are oftentimes broken systems that hold people back. But the truth is, is that even though there may be broken systems and things, even your family of origin that may try to hold you back from from living your best life, so to speak, the reality is, is that, that your life and my life, it is the sum total of the decisions we've made. And so it puts that weight on us to, to make good, healthy, God-honoring decisions in, in alignment with his will for our life. Because if we don't, then what happens is, is we live our life and we get to the end of our life or, or we get five years, 10 years, 25 years in, and we're looking back and there, there's so much regret over the decisions that we've made. And there's, there's like maybe pages of your life you wish you could go and rip out, maybe even chapters for some of us. I don't know if that's you or not, but the good news is that God's mercy is fresh and new today. His grace is sufficient. No matter where you've been, what you've gone through, there's a new day in front of you. Can somebody say amen? But God wants you to know what he wants you to do more than you probably even want to know it because he wants, listen to me, he, he's not this God up there in the cosmos that's just trying to restrict you and to keep you from things. God's not trying to take the fun out of life. He's trying to take the sting out of life. And so he wants to guide you and direct you in the decisions that you have to make in your life. God wants you to know what he wants you to do. Now, here's the thing. I want to unpack just a thought today, just an idea. I'm going to say one or two phrases so many times. My prayer is that it gets lodged in your mind and in your spirit and that it helps you and it equips you and that you'll go back to this but on the, on the first outset of this, you may even think that this seems like a principle that fits within business or organizational leadership, which it does. But it's a biblical principle that I believe it, 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 it literally, it can, it, can, it can be applied to any area of your life, your marriage, your money, your morality, your business, with your kids, with your, uh, with your health. It can be applied to anything. It is a transferable principle. It is a timeless truth and is found in God's word. But the topic is simply this. As we're talking about making decisions, knowing what God's will is for our life, not living a life of regret, but stepping into the fullness of the life that God has for us. Here's, here's the topic. It's vision. It's vision. 
is vision. I want to speak to you on this, this idea around vision. Um, do you remember the scripture? My mom used to quote it to me when I was a kid. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. I love the King James version. That, I like that old school version. It's so good. It says this, without vision, the people perish. Without vision, the people perish. Uh, let me just pause and go off subject for a minute and say this. The converse of this is true as well. Without people, a vision will perish. You see, Pastor Landon has incredible vision, but without you, without your faithfulness to the vision, the commitment to the vision and your resource and your serve and being all in with it, without, without you, the vision doesn't even really matter. And God, God's called us to be committed to a collective vision as a church, but I want to submit to you today that God's called you to be very, very committed, relentlessly committed to the vision that he has for your life. He wants you to be committed to the vision. Um, here's what Helen Keller said. Do you remember Helen Keller? She, she, for some of the younger folks in the, in the crowd here, she was blind. She could not see. And she actually said this. The only thing worse than being blind is having sight, but no vision. The only thing worse than being blind is having sight, but no vision. See, the thesis for this entire message is really this, is that one of the primary ways that God will direct and guide you in life is by giving you a big picture vision for your life. And watch this. Here's the principle. I'm going to give it to you right now. As the vision gets clearer, the options get fewer and the decisions get easier. Let me say it another way. The clearer the vision, the fewer the options, the easier the decision. The clearer the vision, the fewer the options, the easier the decision. What, what is vision? Vision is a picture. It is a picture of a preferred future for your life. Vision is a mental picture of a desired destination of where you hope to be and who you hope to become. That is what vision is. And God has a vision for every area of your life, by the way. God is not just concerned with your spiritual life. God is concerned with your whole life. Trust the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him. That's a weak translation. Acknowledge him is in all your ways, be surrendered and submitted to him. Listen, why, why would it say that? Because listen, God is fully responsible for the person who is fully surrendered to him, fully surrendered in all of your ways, in your relationships, your marriage, your family, your finances, your career, your business, your gifts, and your talents being used to make a difference, to build the kingdom, your legacy, every area, all of your life, God wants you to be surrendered to his vision. And let me tell you this. Here's my, here's my proposal to you today, that God's vision for your life is way better than yours. And by the way, when you're committed to his vision for your life, he gives you provision, which is resources for the vision. So, so you may have a vision for your career, but if you don't have God's vision, you don't have God's provision to back your vision. And so important that we say, God, it's not just what I want. Lord, what do you want for my life? God, what is your vision? Here's a working definition for us to sum it up in vision. Vision is a mental image, watch this, of what could be true, fueled by the conviction of what should be true for my life. I, I need you to notice that. It's a mental picture plus a core conviction. See, if you have a vision without a conviction that it should be true, you'll never take any steps and put in the effort to pursue it. It's just literally kind of a pipe dream. But when you have God's vision, it is, it is this idea that this could be different and this should be different. And now I'm going to take the necessary steps to pursue it in my life. I love this statement. I heard somebody say one time, you will move toward what you consistently see. My, my sister and my mom, they do this thing. Have you, have you ever heard of this? Um, uh, it's called a vision board, a vision board. Anybody here got any vision board people? 
We got some vision board people in the house. They said, you, you, you got to get a vision. And so my mom, my mom, I think Daniel has this too, has like this board and has pictures and phrases and scriptures and they, all this stuff. And so they said, you'll move towards what you consistently see. So I said, you know what? I'm going to put a picture from, 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 from men's fitness magazine of, of, a, of a man with a six pack and I'm going to put it right on the refrigerator. And I'm here to tell you today, I have not moved towards the picture, but I have the refrigerator. I'm still got a keg right here. I don't have a six pack yet. Maybe I should move that picture like to my Peloton or something. But, but the point is this, is that what you continually see, you will actually gravitate towards. You will move towards what you keep in front of you. That's why we should keep God's word in front of us. That's why we should keep Jesus in front of us. Amen. But what you, what you consistently are looking at and seeing, you're going to move towards that. A prayer is that you would begin to actually pray this prayer, like, Lord, give me a clear picture of a vision for my marriage, for my family, for my finances, my dating relationships, my career, my spirituality. Lord, give me your picture of what could be true, fueled by this conviction that it should be true for my life. See, God wants to give you that picture. He really does. And without vision, it makes life extremely challenging. You know, I was thinking about this. Do you have any puzzle people in the house? You like to, you like to put together puzzles? Raise your hand. Let me see. You like to put together puzzles. Okay. Here's what I want to tell you about puzzles. I hate them. Okay. I don't know what your theological positioning is about, about hell, but I would submit to you the idea that in hell, they're going to, at the gates of hell, they're handing out two things, puzzles and Ikea furniture. That's it. That is hell for me. Like just you know, puzzle. But my wife loves puzzles. She absolutely loves puzzles. This is a thousand piece puzzle right here. And, um, this wasn't too long ago. Uh, my, my kids asked, asked me to put together a puzzle with them. So I get down on the floor, I'm putting together this puzzle and, uh, I'm losing my mind. I'm about to lose my salvation. I'm just like, I can't figure it out. My son's laughing at me. He's just, he's just like, you know, and I, I yell into the kitchen. I'm like, babe, I'm like, I'm about to lose my mind. I was like, I need some help. I cannot figure out this puzzle. It's absolutely impossible. And here's what my wife's response was. She said, you need to find the most important piece to the puzzle. And I was like, I know the corners. She goes, no, the lid. I said, what? She said, the lid. I said, why is it the lid? The lid doesn't even contribute at all to these pieces. I've got a thousand pieces and they're everywhere. I can't find the corners and you're telling me I need the lid. She's like, yeah, you need the lid because it's a picture of what it should and could look like. I said, well, the problem is, is that these kids have lost a lid and all these pieces are in a Ziploc bag. It's a whole nother story. I'm sitting there on the floor with no lid, no picture of what could be. Pieces are everywhere. I am just so frustrated. My son checks out. I'm just sitting there. I feel like my world is falling apart, holding pieces. And the reality is, is that many people, they find themselves in their marriage just like that because they never, they never had a picture. Their family of origin definitely didn't give them a picture. Many people find themselves with their finances on the floor in pieces because they never had a picture. Many people, they, they are looking at their, their relationships and, and they find themselves with broken pieces because they never had a picture. I would submit to you that God wants to give you a picture of what could be and what should be true. Michelangelo, the great artist, I love what he said when he was asked about one of his famous statues, the angel that he carved out of marble. He said this, I saw the angel in the marble and I carved until I set him free. When the Pope asked Michelangelo about the beautiful sculpture of David, he said, I saw David in the stone 
And anything that did not look like David, I simply cut it away. What is it that you maybe need to cut away right now in your life that's not contributing to the vision? Some people don't know what to cut away because they don't even have the vision to begin with. And God wants to give you vision. Why? Because the clearer the vision, the fewer the options, the easier the decision. That's why the sage said in Proverbs 29, where there is no prophetic vision. Notice, notice the translation in the English Standard Version. Where there's no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. What, what he means by that is by prophetic vision is this vision that comes from heaven, from above, not from within. Not from the culture around you, not from even, even the aspirations and ambitions on the inside of you, but it's prophetic vision that comes from God. It comes from heaven. I love the New, New Living Translation. He says, when people do not accept divine guidance, they do what? They run wild. They do whatever. It sounds very like, it sounds like, well, they just run wild and go crazy and live immoral lives. No, no, no. It's, 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 sometimes it's, it's not even that. It's not that just that you pursue sinful things. Sometimes it's just that you just don't pursue the right things. Sometimes it's that you, because you don't have any vision for your family, you're, you know what you're doing? You, you throw off restraints and you spend all your time at work. You run wild. But God wants to give you vision, not to restrict you, but to protect you and to protect the potential of what he has and you see, emotional decisions are made in the moment of pressure where there is no vision. And watch this. The emotions are high. The options are many. And we feel the pressure and we make emotional decisions. And I'm, I'm almost 100% sure that every emotional decision I've ever made, I've always regretted. But every decision I've made that was a vision decision where the emotions were high, the options were many, but I didn't let my emotions lead me. But I look back to the vision and I made a vision decision and I let my emotions follow me. I never regretted it. I was always grateful that I had something to go back to. And the reality is, is when you don't have that vision, here's what, here's what our life will look like. We'll get to the point in our life. And unfortunately, some of you may even be there today where you look at the pieces of your life and you say, God, how did I end up here? My finances, how did I end up here? My kids and my family, how did I end up here. And but what, what God wants to do is give you vision so you can make strategic and intentional decisions so that you can get to a place in your life where you can go, God, how did I end up here? You see, everyone ends up somewhere, but few people end up somewhere on purpose. Vision will help you end up somewhere on purpose. But, but listen to me, here's another principle for you. As long as your vision is general, it's not helpful. Your vision needs to be specific. I've heard people say, one day I want to get a job. I'm like, and? One day I want to have a boyfriend and one day I want to get married. Is there anything else? One day I want to have kids. That's it. You better get some vision because they crazy. I'm telling you that right now. <laughs> one day I want to retire. Really? Where? How? With how much? See, as long as your vision is general, it's not helpful. I remember writing down vision when we wanted to plant a church because the options were many. There's a lot of cities in North America and uh, the emotions were high, and I, I was very nervous about planting. And I started praying about six different, six or seven different places: uh, Bali, Hawaii. Can you, can you imagine? God, I really sense your call to suffering in Bali. But it was like you know, Dallas, Denver, Baton Rouge, San Francisco. It was, it was in many different places. We were praying, and um, and I felt like it was just too general. And so I got away and I prayed and began to fast and said, God, give me your vision. Where do you want us? Where could you see our family planting and pioneering a life-giving church? And I remember writing this down in my journal. I want to be a part of a church that shapes a city and a city that shapes the world. I see us in an influential city that is shaping culture, technology, government, education, and business. 
a city that is creative and innovative. I see an urban city that is dense and diverse, beautiful and broken. This is a city where a life-giving church and the gospel of Jesus is needed. I see a city where the poor, marginalized, forgotten, and broken are waiting for the church to step in and make a difference. A city that other church planters are not currently rushing towards. This is the city I see. Listen, we had five to seven cities, and as that vision got clearer, the options got fewer, the decision got easier. San Francisco is where God called us. See, it, it, is, it is something that I've learned to, to let guide me and drive me. But here's what I want to say to some of you are in business in here and you're sitting here thinking, all right, buddy, I, I've read books on this. I get this. I have vision for my company. And I would submit to you something that one of my mentors said to me after I share with him 30 minutes about vision, about our church and our organization and our culture, vision, value, standards, culture, sticky statements and stories, all the stuff. He looked at me and he said, Jason, it's inspiring to hear your vision for your church. But tell me a little bit about your vision for your family. And I had nothing to say. I want to encourage you dads in here, husbands in here, get vision for your family. Have more vision for your marriage and your family and your kids than you do for your portfolio. Somebody like, oh, hello. Thank you, Jesus. Well, let me wrap up with Nehemiah chapter six to drive this in just a little bit deeper. I think this is one of the most beautiful illustrations biblically of this principle of getting vision from God of what could be true, fueled by a conviction of what should be true and staying committed to it. Stay the course, stay committed to the vision. And then, and then God just do something miraculous and supernatural. It's the story of Nehemiah. And when you look at the context and I won't dig into it too much, but Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king whose predecessor had destroyed the nation of Israel. And this is where Nehemiah was from. He was from Israel, but he's now in Babylon. And the Jewish people, the exiles, this is interesting. They were taken by the Babylonians out of their, their, their nation. And it wasn't all of them. It was the best and the brightest. It was the artisans, the craftsmen. It was the culture carriers and creators. It was the politicians and the leaders. It was the best of the best. And they were taken out of their city and placed in Babylon. And the goal was not to kill them, but to culturally annihilate them. To remove their names. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They changed their names. They changed their diets. They changed their dress. And here's why they took the best and the brightest. They wanted to culturally annihilate them, them assimilate to the Babylonian culture, and then use their gifts, talents, and abilities to build Babylon. This is the same strategy of the enemy, by the way, today. That is the spirit of Babylon to take the best and brightest, the most talented, the creatives, the artisans, the leaders in the church, in the kingdom of God, the people of God, and not to kill them, but to culturally annihilate them and to use them, leverage them, harvest their gifts and strengths to build this culture. So this is what happens in Nehemiah is in this place and he's serving as a cupbearer to the king of Babylon. And some of the exiles are starting to return after 70 years to Jerusalem. And the city was just in ruins. The, the walls, they're beautiful walls of Jerusalem. If you've ever seen them or ever been there, it's just beautiful. It's gorgeous. Well, they were broken down and the city was really burnt and it was trashed. And these exiles start to, start to come back to Jerusalem. And then some of them kind of visit Babylon again. And the word gets to Nehemiah and Nehemiah says, tell me about Jerusalem. What is it like now? And they begin to tell him about how the walls are broken down. And it literally, it broke his heart as a leader. He was like, this should not be like this. This could be different. This should be that this is the city of God. And he begins to, God begins to download this vision of rebuilding and restoring the walls. It was very specific. It wasn't what was inside of the walls, but it was the actual walls themselves. It was a very specific assignment. 
God begins to give him that vision. And then the king begins to give him provision, which is so interesting that God uses the Babylonian king to provide the wealth and resources to fund the vision that God had given Nehemiah. Isn't that interesting? The wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous and the just, right? And so he begins to rally a group of people and they go in to start restoring and rebuilding the walls. And what's interesting about the story is, is he tells everyone, listen, just walk out of your house and look directly in front of it. The wall, the breach in the wall that's directly in front of you, what's right in front of you, just do what's right in front of you. You don't have to do everything, just do your part. What a great picture of the church. You don't have to do everything, just do your part. If it's kids ministry, do it. If it's serving the poor, just do it. If it's being a greeter, do it. If it's prayer, whatever, let's just all do our part. Listen, this place is not built on this, the talents and the gifts of, of a few, but on the sacrifice and the contribution and the gifts of many. And we're just called to rebuild what God's put in front of us. And so Nehemiah begins to work with them. And it takes about two months. They're working and they start to finish this entire project. But the entire time they're building, there's these two guys, Sambalad and Tobiah, the enemy of what's going on. I mean, they have a political force in this region and, and they do not want the walls to be rebuilt. They, they just trying to figure out how do we stop this? So the entire two months, they kept threatening them. They kept trying to trash Nehemiah's reputation. I mean, they kept trying to attack the leadership. I mean, it was a, a very bad scene, but they just stayed the course, committed to the vision. We know what God's called us to do. It doesn't matter about the haters that are going to tweet about us. It doesn't matter about the people that are in their mom's basement that are blogging about us. That, is that too real? Okay. They're like, we're committed to the vision. The people that mind don't matter and the people that matter don't mind. So we're going to stay committed to the vision, what God's called us to build. They kept building. And finally, towards the end, everything's kind of built. And the picture is that the last thing are the gates. Nehemiah is about to put the gates on the wall. And he gets this message in Nehemiah chapter six from Sambalat and Tobiah. It says, now when Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall, and that there was no breach left in it, although up until that time I had not yet set the doors and the gates. Samballot and Geshem sent to me saying, look at this invitation. Come, let's meet together at, I can't say that word, in the plain of Ono. <laughs> Come, let's meet over in the plain of Ono. And look at this. But they intended to do harm. Nehemiah had discernment. He was wise. They intended to do harm for me. They're not trying to add to what we're building. They're trying to take away from what we're building. They, they intended to do harm. And I sent a messenger to them saying this, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. And they sent to me four times in this way, same invitation. And I answered them in the same manner. Look at the resilience and the commitment and the fortitude, the lion of a leader that he was. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. All four times the invitation came to, to distract him from what he was building, to pull him away from the assignment of God. And every single time his response was the same. You can go and tell them, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why is this so significant? Listen, because Nehemiah had a very crystal clear vision and the clearer the vision, the fewer the options, the easier the decision. He knew that that was a distraction from the enemy to get me off the wall, to stop me from building what God has called me to build. And I would submit to you that God's got a vision from your marriage. And when the enemy comes in to try to distract you from building what God's called you to build, you need to have that rally cry on the inside of you to say, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. When the temptation comes to compromise in your morality, listen, and I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. You got to get that on the inside of you. Some of you ladies in here, you're single. Man, you've been scoping and hoping. Hey. You're going to get that text message from that guy and we just need to respond. 
I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. I'm going to liberate some of you right now. I remember getting a clear vision of what I wanted my wife to be like. I wrote it down. I started with Proverbs 31. Hey, amen. Somebody say amen. I started with Proverbs 31, and I just kept writing, and then I kind of I said, well, Lord, I know that's what you want, but can I tell you what I want to? He was like, go ahead. Started describing her and everything. And I remember laying eyes on Jennifer D. Bainham. And I said, Lord, I said, she, she is in alignment with this vision. And you know what? There were other options over the next five to seven years. But the clearer the vision, the fewer the options, the easier the decision. When those girls came around, I just thought, I'm doing a great work. And I cannot come down. This is who God's called me to, to align my life with. I remember writing down in my journal when we got married in 2005, I have a vision of fidelity and faithfulness to my wife. What does that look? I have, a, I have a vision of never having to look my sons and my daughter, daughters in the eyes and say, I'm so sorry your dad did this. I had a vision for it. And the options of me being alone with the opposite sex, I just eliminated that as, eliminated that as an option. Clear the vision. Fewer the options. The easier the decision. You need to sit down and you need to write down that vision. How do you do it? Here's just three things and I'll wrap up. You need to pray specifically. Be very specific. Be very specific. Just take, maybe just take one thing at a time. Maybe one day, instead of doing your normal devotion, instead of normally praying and, and reading just to get a word for the day, ask God this question. Say, God, I want your vision for, and you fill in the blank, that one specific area. And you just begin to craft that vision, right? Just, just pray specifically about it. God, over the next three to five years, God, what do you want to see in my family? What do you want to see in my finances, Lord? And just begin to focus on that one thing and just be very, very specific don't get overwhelmed. Don't try to craft a 20-year vision statement on every area of your life. Just find one or two things. And the second thing you need to do is just write it down plainly. Habakkuk 2 says, write the vision, make it plain. Write the vision, make it plain. Why? On tablets, so that a runner may run with it, so that it's portable and memorable, so that when you go about your Monday and your Thursday, when you're at the office, at the water cooler, when that person comes, it is always there, and you've been a little emotionally frustrated with your spouse, but you're there in that moment, you can just say, you know what? I've got a vision of fidelity. That's not even an option to be at the water cooler. Clear the vision, fewer the options. Just write it down, write it plainly. It may be something as simple as a paragraph or maybe a statement. I'll show you a few that I wrote down for my life. Here's one. We want to be the type of parents that when our kids are grown up, they want to always come back to spend time with us. What type of home do we need to create then? What type of atmosphere and environment do I need to create so that they this home becomes an attractional home. The prodigal son, you know the thing that brought him back to his father's house? He remembered what his father's house was like. I want to be a parent like that. Here's another one. I want to be the type of leader that people love to follow and whose lives are made better because of my leadership. But what does it take to do that? Begin to write down the systems, which by the way, your vision is only as good as the systems you have to deliver it. So make sure you have good systems to deliver. Here's another one. My vision for my finances is to tithe regularly, to spend wisely, to save aggressively, and to give generously. Just get vision. Get vision. My vision is for my job in this season <clears throat> is to work the least amount of time, make the most amount of money to create margin for ministry. I just got to get vision. And here's the third one is this. You just got to act accordingly. You just have to have the discipline and the commitment to say, God's given me vision. And now when the decisions are, need to be made, I'm just going to make decisions in alignment with the vision. 
not based off of my emotions, not based off of my proclivities or propensities, but I'm gonna make vision decisions because I realize that God's called me to build something and to build something great in my marriage, in my home, in my career, in my business. God, what is your vision? Because the clearer the vision, the fewer the options, the easier the decision. I'll finish up with this final piece. I remember, and the band can begin to play, I remember being in San Francisco and the last vision that the Lord gave us was to plant a life-giving church in San Francisco. And about four years in, four or five years in, about five years in, my wife and I begin to talk about vision again. My mom is getting older and her, her ministry is kind of changing. And my wife's parents are getting older and um, they've had some bouts with their health and some scares. And so we begin to talk about that. We begin to talk about even um, the vision that we had for how we would care for our parents as they got older. And we went back to a vision that we had 17 years ago when we got married. We did a vision retreat. Uh, there's a guy, I think he's in the area here, Jimmy Evans. He does this marriage today vision retreat thing. And so we had this little booklet and we went back to the booklet and the booklet has different questions that it asked you. And one of them, one of the questions, what do you do with your parents when they age? What do you do whenever they're, if they maybe can't provide for themselves or maybe they just need someone to support them. And one of the things that we wrote down is that we'd always make sure that there was a space for my mom and for Jennifer's dad if he needed it. Well, guess what? You live in San Francisco, it's about $1,500 a square foot. You start paying what we were paying for rent and stuff like that. And we start looking and we're like, we, we can barely fit our family in this tiny house. What if my mom needs a place? What if her dad needs a place? And then we went back to, to what God had originally called us to, which was to plant churches, plural, not to plant a church, but to plant churches. And the Lord said, could you still plant churches if you came alongside other church planters to help them do it? And your greatest success is actually their success. And we kept going back to the vision and I just felt like the Lord said, listen, here's the vision, what I have for you for the next five years to the next 10 years for your family, because your family's more important than your ministry. It was a hard decision. The emotions were so high. We started getting job opportunities from different places to come because people found out that we were, we were feeling like we were called to step away from San Francisco. I'm telling you what, it was a confusing time. But you know what wasn't confusing? The vision. Went back to the vision and said, you know what, Lord, we're not gonna make an emotional decision. We're gonna make a vision decision because we're doing a great work and we cannot come down. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we just thank you for this moment that we have today. And here's what's the burden on my heart. Obviously, I've communicated what I felt you wanted me to communicate. And hopefully it's stirred a hunger for people to get vision for the key areas of their life. And I pray that they would do that, that they would apply this. They wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And that you would speak to them this week, even as they make this a practice. And maybe it even becomes a, a regular thing that they do annually getting vision for key areas of their life. But really my burden is, is, is this, is that there's, there could be people here in this room or those that are watching that they feel like their life is in pieces. I want to take this puzzle and open it and just pour all the pieces on the ground. That's how they feel. Feel like their family's in pieces. Maybe their finances are in pieces. Lord, I felt like you just wanted to encourage somebody today and say, if you'll just pick up the pieces and place them in my hands and trust me, I'll mend the broken pieces of your life. I'll mend the broken pieces of your heart. No shame, no regret, no guilt. 
Today's a fresh start. It's a new beginning if you'll put the pieces in my hand. God, I thank you for every person that's here today. I pray that they would, they would sense that and hear that if they need to hear that encouragement, that their future is still bright. Their best days are not behind them. Their best days are in front of them. That is not hype. That is not a cliche. That is not a Christian platitude. That is the truth of your word. That, that Romans 8, you work all things together for the good. Lord, we just rest in that today. And if you're here today, you say, Jason, I don't have a relationship with God, but I want to commit my life to Jesus. If that's you, I just want to pray a simple prayer. If you say, Jason, I want to give my life to Jesus. We just lift up your hand really quick. You say, I, want to, I need to give my life to God. If that's you, just, just slip your hand up. Say, I need Jesus. Thank you, young lady, right over here. That's amazing. Just pray this simple prayer. Say, Jesus, today I give you my heart. I confess that I'm a sinner and I need you. I give you my life today. I place every piece of my life in your hands because I know you can be trusted. I choose to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thanks for listening to the Trademark Church Podcast. If this message inspired you today, feel free to share with friends, leave a rating, and subscribe so you don't miss any of our weekly messages. This podcast and everything that we do at Trademark Church is only possible because of the generosity of those that call Trademark Church home. If you would like to give to the work that God is doing through Trademark, please visit trademark.church. Thanks again for checking out the podcast, and we'll see you soon.